0: Mate, this sound is honestly like, it puts me in a trance. It's like so meditative. I cannot get enough of it. I listened to this about 15 times. This is times. your whale,
1: whale songs right here. This is my get whale song, Get the whale cetaceans yeah. out of here. Bring in the amphibians. Strap them to trees. Yeah. Get them singing.
0: I don't really understand how people find whale song relaxing. If you were under the sea surrounded by whales, it's
1: no time to relax. <laughs> wow. Well, maybe people would say the same about frogs if there were enough of them. Well, if you're just in a, tr- like, this just
0: puts me in, like, a calm forest, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. it's a humid night, but it's so chill. Anyway, any ideas on what this frog is called?
1: Hmm. Is it a Dendrobabies species? No. I don't think they make noises like
0: this. They just make like rubbishy little squeaks, don't they? I don't know. Maybe yeah, until you there, but... find
1: the one that's like the poison singing ah. frog or something. And they all Hello. come out at <laughs> one particular time of the year on one day all out of their crevices Hello. in the trees and they start <laughs> peeping like that.
0: Yeah, true. The exception that proves the rule always comes out.
1: Now, maybe some sort of... I still think some sort of tree frog. I'm feeling like they're high up and surrounding the recording. So maybe like a hylorana species.
0: You're on the right lines. I'll give it to you. Not that you don't get a point, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. This is the Barbados whistling frog. Ah. Yeah. Eulotherodactylus johnstoni. Closely related to the cocky frog that we can't stop talking about. This is a small, dull-coloured frog, according to Amphibia Web, which seems a bit harsh. But males attract females. I've seen
1: worse descriptions of animals Hmm. on on websites and stuff.
0: I mean, they're small, don't get me wrong, but they're also kind of cool. They're almost like white with a little bit of brown on them. And they just look like generic frog shapes. But I don't know. I think they're kind of cool. And that cool that you just heard, males use that to attract the females. And it's quite a nice little system they've got. When the female hears the male calling and she's like you know receptive she approaches the male and then the male like saunters off a little bit and the female's like watching him and then he'll start calling again and she'll follow him a little way and then they'll both stop and then he'll move away a bit more call again and then she'll (laughs) go again okay yeah cool and they do it like this they slowly work their way until they find somewhere with like a pool of water where they can lay their eggs there's also a lot of detail about how this species reproduces It's quite graphic the way they describe it, actually. The male and female apparently will simultaneously do some abdominal pulsations and body spasms before the female lays eggs, which is quite a uh, graphic image. They're also known to engage in the reverse hind leg clasp. (laughs) quite adventurous for a frog not many frogs are doing that apparently it's it's known from the cocky frog which we've talked about in the past but they have internal fertilization so they kind of have to mate like that whereas these Mm. ones do it despite the fact that it's external whether or not that's like a vestige of you know i don't know which way that is evolving but either way it's kind of cool they do this sort of unusual reverse mating position not many frogs do and they're naturally widespread in the caribbean obviously we're talking about the caribbean in this episode
1: well not obviously at all but well, we obviously, are. to me, yeah.
0: But yeah, not obviously. You know the of was-
1: support's coming up next. <laughs> yeah,
0: I do. I just yeah. That, what I mean is that is the link. That was the clue <laughs> that you had access to. Yes. But yeah, so also a successful invasive species in South and Central America. Um, lots of islands have them when they didn't without humans. So mm-hmm. Jamaica, Aruba, a couple of examples. The reason this frog is such a successful introduced species is because it keeps getting stowed away on boats and introduced to new places. And I think it's just a classic case of one of these animals that it it will live in gardens, it will live on buildings, it can live in areas highly disturbed by people, and it keeps getting dropped off in new highly disturbed areas by people. So it's making a success of itself. It's one of those species that will probably still be around in the year 2700, it's crushing it.
1: (laughs) Whistling away in the trees.
0: Yeah, whistling away. And that frog the whole call that we just heard came from a youtube video which i've credited in the show notes because it's just so good but there's just in someone's garden in barbados filming that and it was just a really nice cut Excellent. so yeah the barbados whistling frog and um as i kind of insinuated just there we are in barbados for this episode so let's move on to our paper So this one is by Lapiedra, Morales, Yang, Fernandez-Bellon, Michelides, Gary, Piova-Scott, Shona, Colby, and Losos 2023. Coming out of the uh, Losos and Colby team lab here. Predator-driven behavioral shifts in a common lizard shape resource flow from marine to terrestrial ecosystem published in Ecology
1: Letters. So you were like, so, we're in where? You're Barbados, were you?
0: Yeah, we're in islands off Barbados. Not Barbados itself, but close close by.
1: You mean the Bahamas? <laughs> are
0: you serious? hmm uh, are they
1: Experimental yeah, Island but... system in the Bahamas.
0: Yeah, I got Barbados and Bahamas mixed up. <laughs> it's true.
1: Pretty... <laughs> <It's pretty awkward. laughs> too late to change it now <laughs> hey they're nearby don't worry about it they both begin just with listen, b they're nearby it's the caribbean the waves, it's fine i thought short, your connection right. with caribbean was was wonderful and then you went too specific with the segway i just couldn't let it sit <laughs> are they all caribbean though right yeah 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 i think so
0: okay good that's stupid damn Okay.
1: I think Barbados is still... Yeah, so Barbados is lesser Antilles.
0: Right. Yes.
1: And the Bahamas are further up.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's all Caribbean. Caribbean. It's all Caribbean. It's the edge. Is it Caribbean? The Antilles are kind of more northern. The Bahamas is in the Caribbean, right? You'd say that. Yes, it is. They call it a country of the Caribbean, so I think it is. So we are at least in the Caribbean. It's all
1: quite close together.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, it's in the Atlantic Ocean, so...
1: It's still quite close.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I got it mixed up. But anyway, we're in an island here, beginning with B, (laughs) and we're talking about... (laughs) Absolute butchery to start the episode here, but... (laughs) this paper is absolutely amazing so this outrageous the yeah, for the, yeah. For the confusion yeah we are talking about animal lizards broadly here but we're also talking about like one of the most kind of what's the word for this it's groundbreaking but it's also bold what's the word i'm looking for it's like they really went out here and did something quite incredible
1: oh this whole like what's being done in the caribbean with sort of Anal evolution and reevolution and convergent evolution and just like experimentation in general is kind of outrageous
0: yeah yeah this is it this is it and um yeah so as the title suggests we're looking at kind of behavioral shifts in a common lizard the common lizard is the brown anole, and yeah essentially to kind of measure what happens to anoles in different circumstances they created this experimental system consisting of Eight small islands off the coast of Great Abaco, Bahamas, not Barbados. And um, they were looking to see essentially how they react to different kind of changes in their environments. Obviously, these are groups of lizards that have all been introduced artificially. So these were all very small islets that had no brown annals. And they put eight new populations on eight small islands. And they were looking to see how they would influence or how changes in their environment would affect the annals and so you know they were interested in resource flow so there's this idea that on islands coastal areas of islands are important for bringing resources to the islands so there was a paper which showed that if you dump seaweed on islands the annals living there will grow faster because if you dump a load of seaweed on the island, it will attract a lot of arthropods to eat the seaweed. You know, detritivores, they can't wait to eat Detritivores,
1: delicious detritivores. Yeah, that lizards can't get enough of.
0: Yeah, detritivores, they like eating detritus. They will be attracted to the seaweed. And they go. If you've got lizards there, they'll come and eat all the little isopods and stuff that are eating that. And then they get bigger themselves. To sort of study this in situ... They wanted to know how much of the diet of individual brown annals was composed of marine-derived resources. So basically they used something called stabilised isotope analysis, which is essentially the you-are-what-you-eat principle. And if, if you're eating something which has come from the sea, whether or not it actually directly came from the sea, or whether it's been eating sort of oceanic resources, they tend to have carbon 13 rather than carbon 12 which is carbon with an extra neutron and so if you look for these isotopes in the tissues of your animal you can distinguish what they're eating to some extent it's like you know it's a pretty broad stroke but broadly you can say okay well if this one's got more carbon 13 then it's more reliant on resources from the ocean yeah and so yeah that's what they did. So they had a bunch of um, island systems and they dumped some seaweed on them and they were waiting to see if the animals were going to eat the arthropods that ate the seaweed. And then they were going to look at their stable isotopes to say, OK, they've been eating these isopods, which are born of an oceanic resource. But there was a sting in the tail to this study, which was that they further complicated their food web with the addition of curly tailed lizards which Mm. are Laocephalus carinatus. And these are a predatory lizard species and they like to eat annals. They're well known to eat annals. And so the idea was that they would introduce these curly-tailed lizards to half of the islands and then they would look to see, firstly, if the annals were behaving differently. But then also if there's a difference in the behavior of the annals, if they were being more cautious, they might be less likely to venture out into the coastal exposed areas to eat the additional arthropods which yep. came to eat the seaweed and if they did that then there would be less carbon 13 in their tissues so essentially they've manipulated this environment in a number of ways created a interesting simple studyable food web and looked to see uh, the consequences of the predation on the animals
1: yeah the sort of added sort of bit of this is is this idea that this marine to terrestrial resource flow is disrupted right so it's a bit more fundamental than just animals changing what they're eating it's specifically this marine to terrestrial interface that's being somewhat disrupted by the addition of this predator which makes it kind of additionally intriguing i feel
0: yeah i mean it's you know when you think of something like resource flow around an ecosystem at least to me it doesn't spring to mind as the kind of thing you can experimentally manipulate and i think that's like
1: no well that's what these island studies always Blow my mind that they're number one allowed to do this <laughs> number two that
0: it i know yeah it's works. actually crazy yeah <laughs> i know yeah like yeah um hi they're just asking the government of bahamas here yeah is it cool like there's no lizards on this island can we just drop some off there and they're like yeah no sweat mate <laughs> off you pop just let them out
1: this isn't the first time they've done this either like i'm pretty sure this is the lab that had the whole what happens to lizards that survive getting blown off the island in a hurricane and stuff like that
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey crazy findings. Crazy findings. They did crazy their stuff. Findings.
0: And I mean, this paper is uh just crazily cool. So yeah, I mean, worth it. But yeah, so um let's talk about I, get, I mean, you know, we've I think we've set it up that there's this islands of newly introduced lizards. Some of them have predators, they all have seaweed dumped and they're looking to see how this resource flow from ocean to terrestrial environments is affected. The other thing they looked at was um how many spider webs were around because animals do like to eat spiders as well. And there was this idea that the spiders might be affected too.
1: Yes. Important to note. So you keep bringing up the seaweed. Seaweed is the same in all, on all islands.
0: Yeah.
1: Arthropod diversity is the same on all islands. And so is arthropod biomass, or at least it's not significantly different between all islands for all three of these. aspects so essentially all these islands are largely the same bar the experimental manipulation yeah and i think it was what four and four four given predatory lizards four not yeah yeah along those lines
0: four population of animals were free the island was theirs and four were under the pressure from the scary curly-tailed lizards which don't let their silly curly tail because they literally have like a scorpion's tail they look pretty farcical but they are dangerous predators Got to be careful of them. So, yeah. Should we talk first about how the predators influenced animal behavior? I guess that's kind of like Route One.
1: Well, this is Lizard. the other aspect they did, wasn't it? They had this island set up, but then they nabbed some anoles off the islands for sort of behavioral experimentation trials. A sort of mm. a Thunderdome light sort of situation where they were presented. ...in a controlled environment with a spiny-tailed lizard. Had the spiny-tailed lizards... Basically, they were put in a place where so they could see the lizard... ...but the lizard couldn't get to them. And then they were take that lizard away, the scary lizard away... ...and then they would record how long it would be... ...until the Anoli decided to venture out of its refuge. Think of it as like a test of risk-taking or a test of bravery... After being faced with this terrifying predator.
0: Yeah. And the ones which had had experience of the curly-tailed lizards on their islands were, like, less brave, right? They were more scaredy.
1: The association that they sort of start picking up on is the ones that were braver had higher marine resources in their diet, right? Yeah. For the females, anyway.
0: Yeah, it was only for the females.
1: That had the association of you needed to be braver to get access to the marine resources and sort of overcome the fear of predatory lizards because that is the important point that when these anoles are on the ground going for the marine resources they are at greater risk of predation or at least that's certainly the assumption right mm.
0: yeah yeah so the ones which had a higher proportion of marine resources so the ones that are venturing out eating the arthropods yeah are yeah they're the ones existing they're also exhibiting riskier behavior so yeah the risk takers yes. get the reward of the arthropods on the coastline yep. but this was only observed on predator islands so
1: right exactly that association disappears on the predator free ones the risk taking sure. is disconnected from the marine resource thing so it's right all, on maybe it. you could sort of interpret that as there's less of a benefit of being risky or risk taking on those predator free islands There's not that same benefit so everyone's it, it's just not associated with marine resources or not mm.
0: yeah yeah and uh, what else did they find out? They found out that...
1: Well, the mirror the mirror aspect. So they went out to these islands and looked at where they were perching, where the anoles were perching. If you went to a predator island, they tended to be higher up in the trees compared to your predator-free islands. So you've got this mirroring of the behavioral riskiness and the where they're just perching when you happen to find them. So, mm-hmm. predator-free islands, they got the run of the show. They can be down near the base of the trees, they can be crawling around in amongst the seaweed, no problem. Take their time. Predator islands, not so much. And they're sticking higher up, more arboreally, avoiding mm. the sort of riskier, lower perches. Or presumed riskier, lower perches.
0: And the predator islands also had a higher density of spider webs,
1: Right. Which is a weird one. Which is a sort of surprising switch here, right?
0: Yeah, because... Animals generally reduce spider abundance when they're introduced to islands, but the ones which had the curly-tailed lizards, they weren't having such an impact on the spiders.
1: Yeah, but you'd expect if they can't have access to these marine resources, they'd have a greater impact on the spiders. But that wasn't the case. The sort of explanation they're giving is potentially that the animals are just lower density on these islands, so much so that the spiders aren't being impacted as much. Mm. which I think is pretty convincing.
0: I mean, it makes sense. If you've got fewer predators, you're likely to have more prey, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. But in this yeah, case, you've got crazy, potentially then. a predator suppressing the population of a sort of predator, which is allowing the expansion of, well, I suppose technically another predator, the spider.
0: It's really cool to see. I mean, because that is essentially a trophic cascade, right?
1: Absolutely, They've it is, yeah.
0: Experimentally removed predators here, and you can see that suddenly it's... Having a negative consequence on a downstream small animal. Yeah. If you have a predator and somebody wipes out its predators, you're in trouble, essentially, is the. And we talk about like trophic cascades, you know, where like, oh, these ecosystems are going to be all out of whack for losing these top predators. But this is kind of a um, microcosm of that actually happening where. Yeah. You take away the, the lizard that eats lizards and suddenly the spiders are doing much better. Yeah, really just insane paper in terms of its scope, really. Just this idea yeah. that. You could put new animals on islands and then measure all of these different things which are associated with their kind of impacts and survival.
1: And it's health too. One thing we didn't touch on was the body condition. Body condition of these animals on predator-free islands, much better than that on the predator islands. So not only are there maybe well maybe fewer of them than allowing the spider populations to increase, but the the animals that are there aren't as in good condition. So these curly tail lizards are keeping them <laughs> keeping them moving, I guess, keeping them less able to uh, feed and get fat and happy, and instead keeping yeah. them on edge. <laughs> they're creating a in a less healthy scenario, basically. Yeah, a landscape of fear. I mean, maybe yeah. It certainly seems that way because they're not coming to the ground as much. I think it's exactly landscape of fear. So I've always thought about as such an ominous. It's
0: an ominous phrase, isn't it? Landscape
1: of fear. Yeah, but I think it, it's really apt, actually. Really apt.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Because imagine, you know, your classic landscape of fear is the the elk near riparian systems wearing down banks and stuff. If you had your annals, if they had, I don't know, weird shovel feet that eroded beaches. The predator-free islands would be in trouble with their beaches, wouldn't they? Because they'd all be down there having a fine old time. You'd need the predators to spook them back into the trees.
0: Yeah. No, it's pretty crazy. It is yeah. pretty crazy. Are these, have all these islands just got animals on them now? I guess they do.
1: Well, until a hurricane comes and blasts them all off like a leaf blower. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I just like it because... It has so many things, like it's so relevant to the world that we live in this paper because we are constantly doing this to ecosystems, introducing new things and switching things up and the climate's going to start doing it more and more as well. So yeah, fascinating to see, fascinating to see. I mean, yeah, I can't stress how impressed I am by this enough. It's super awesome, the scope of it. Uh, Yeah, congratulations to them all. So hope we did it, Justice.
1: I think there's a lot going on in it.
0: There's so many it's elements.
1: It's, it's well worth yeah. a read.
0: It is well worth a read. In short, if there are predators, the animals are using less of the coastal resource there. Yep. And the spiders also benefit because the curly tailed lizards are eating the predators. <laughs> yeah. The only thing you don't really want to be is an arthropod on the coast here. But then again, if there are curly tailed lizards, you do you have, have a better time. time of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, you've got more seaweed and there's fewer animals to eat you.
0: Yeah. All right, cool. Have you got any other business for this
1: week? I do have one piece of any other business. Oh, yeah? It concerns some footprints, some footprints from the early Cretaceous, so about 110, 120 million years ago. Okay, These footprints, I believe they were found in South Korea, I think, is where they were. And it's suggested that these footprints that are sort of in a line somewhat in a line were made by some sort of bipedal crocodile some sort of upright crocodile (laughs) well but perhaps not upright but standing on two legs like crocodile
0: so it's a bipedal crocodile
1: that's the impression i'm being given the quote that's used in the title of the thing is ran like an ostrich this is quite an old stuff this is a pre four-year-old story but um i couldn't get over the idea of a bipedal crocodile the artist's rendition of said crocodile is somewhat more dinosaur-like than what you'd consider a crocodile but yeah crocodile nonetheless and they're beautiful footprints absolutely beautiful footprints suggested to be less dinosaur-like because they've got hefty imprint from the heel as opposed to walking very toe heavy that would be more bird like, more dinosaur like.
0: Mm. Yeah. That it's being like... said,
1: a little bit shaky. Not everyone's agreeing, as you know, classic, but I don't blame them because it's just kind of footprints. But
0: <laughs> Yeah, so essentially this paper's come out, they're like, check this out, it's a bipedal crocodile jogging about, and even in the article itself, right? <laughs> Other scientists are coming out to be like, nah, doubt it.
1: Well, there's certainly questions. I don't know whether stuff has been gone in in more detail over the past like three, four years.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Wait, because this came out in
1: 2020, right? Yeah. So
0: you just wanted to bring it up because I a wanted to bring it up crocodile. because I wanted
1: people to think about a bipedal crocodile running across <laughs> South <laughs> Korea. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is just a classic case of us exiting our lane, entering the lane of paleontology.
1: I'm not going to say anything definitive about it, just that it exists. It's intriguing.
0: It is intriguing, yeah. What are they called, the name of it? Batracopus Grandis. Okay, so So they
1: named this... Big feet like a newt.
0: Wow, yeah, you're right, yeah. (laughs) Something like that. I I don't think so. (laughs) Grandis is obviously big. Batrac yeah man it means frog foot oh that wasn't too far off you crushed it didn't you you said something pretty close to that frog foot it is a weird frog foot and these footprints they kind of do have a little bit of a human element to them it makes you realize that our footprints are quite heel heavy doesn't it because it's just like a big flat splat down mad yeah i would love to know if there really was a bipedal crocodile they look really impractical, though. The artist impression, it doesn't look like a real animal. It looks too...
1: I don't know enough about how a crocodile would run Yeah. with two feet. We covered that wonderful paper about how they sort of galloped, as in modern yeah. crocodiles, and how they galloped. And, like, I don't know, maybe I have a lack of imagination, but it's certainly... To imagine that form of movement, that sort of creature being twisted into a form that could walk on two legs takes quite a few sort of sizable modifications (laughs) in my mind anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just had a quick look. It doesn't seem that there's been any major new things coming out about this. So maybe the debate is raging on among paleontologists. Cool. Well, um, I haven't got any other business beyond that. So yeah, I think, um, we should say that if you want to get in touch with us, you can. We're online or you can find us or you can email us, I should say, herphighlights at gmail.com. If you've got a question or corrections, that'd be great to hear them. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can on patreon.com slash highlights. And yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening.